want to welcome everyone to Sunday Night Clinics. We are a forum of positive, honest exchanges for the betterment of athlete 911 players and families. And in cooperation with Masters of Baseball, our agenda is to help players all over the country in today's youth baseball environment. This conversation is positive information to help you. Our agenda is to talk to help players and families grow in our great game. This form of baseball talk and sharing philosophies and beliefs is for you, the player, the family member, the youth in high school and college coaches. It's a forum for all of us to grow as people and as coaches. Tonight, we invite we have invited Coach from the University of Oregon, Mark Wazikowski, who I call the Waz. The Waz has a 25-year career as a coach. Let me give you a little bit of his background. He was a player at the University of Hawaii. From University of Hawaii, he went to Rancho Santiago Junior College and then ended up at Pepperdine University, where he was a third baseman and was part of the 1992 College World Series champions. From there, he got his degree and he started his coaching career at Southeast Missouri State. He went on to coach with, with Andy Lopez as an assistant at the University of Florida from 1999 to 2001. Then they went to Arizona from 2002 to 2011. In 2012, he became an assistant at University of Oregon with Coach George Horton. From there, he got his first head coaching job, and he was at the University of Purdue. And now he's back since, since 2020 as the head coach of the Oregon Ducks. May we welcome Coach Waz to the clinic. Well, thanks for having me, Butch. It's an honor to be on with you today. Hey, Waz, I love having you. I love, uh, I've loved watching your career. I always loved seeing you at events when you were a coach and when you were a recruiting coordinator. Uh, let's get right to the questions, and let's talk about the University of Oregon baseball and your vision for your program. Well, I mean, it's, it's real simple, Butch. I mean, you know, um, I'm blessed to work at an unbelievable institution. All right, the resources, the facilities, all that kind of stuff. I mean, it, it's, it's just second to none. And to have this opportunity is something um, – that, you know, it's been a, a long time, uh, a, a lot of years of work, basically, to get to a position like this, and I value it every day. Um, you know, and I know you gave my resume and all that kind of stuff, but, you know, humbly, I, I didn't start in my coaching career at Southeast Missouri State University, which was a great opportunity there as well um, as a graduate assistant, but instead, I, I had two years uh, coaching at as an assistant coach at Los Alamitos High School, where where you know, that's where it all started. And so, you know, making 500 bucks a year on the lawnmower, uh, being an assistant coach at Los Al was, you know, that's where it all started. Um, and so, you know, now I, I, I work at a, a place that um, is dressed up. It's beautiful. It's awesome. Our goal are, is to is to put a national championship uh, on the board. You got to do one before you can do t uh, two. Uh, hasn't been done before at the University of Oregon baseball program. And that's our goal. Um, and so uh, we know we have uh, a lot of work to do. Um, we feel like we're making some some real strides, but still yet. I mean, just just honored to be on with you tonight. And I thank you so much, Butch. Yeah, thank you for being on. I see Coach Horton's on here. 
So that's, I mean, I'm, I'm really happy that he's here to, to listen to you. Can you tell us and tell everybody what made you want to be a coach? Uh, to be honest with you, Butch, at, at the beginning of this thing, I, I didn't want to, I didn't have any thoughts about being a coach. Um, I can't say that I didn't want to be a coach. I just had never thought about it. Um, I finished at Pepperdine. Um, and in 1993, I was drafted by the late Art Sherman by the Milwaukee Brewers in the 35th round as a senior. Um, and I chose not to sign. I felt like at that point in time, I was always behind. Um, you know, I had transferred from the University of Hawaii into a junior college and then to Pepperdine. It took me uh, about five and a half years uh, to graduate um, with a college degree. That was the first objective is to, to get a college degree. That was really important for my mom and dad. And so I wanted to honor their, their request, but um, it wasn't really on, on the roadmap for me. I, I really was thinking I wanted to go to wall street and I, I really enjoyed stocks and bonds. And I thought being an investor on wall street would be really, really cool. And so that's kind of where my heart was at early. And, um, you know, and then I just started getting advice through the years about, you know, maybe some things that you should do with education and getting a master's degree and just the path kind of laid out to where I ended up getting into coaching. And I, I really loved it. And uh, and that's kind of how it, it started. But it, it definitely wasn't planned from day one that, boy, oh, boy, I just want to be a coach. Let's let's talk about evaluation. Uh, you've had a, a strong career as an evaluator. You've had 134 MLB picks and 42 guys that you've recruited or coached have played in the big leagues. What, what, you know, there's a lot of coaches on this call, guys that, you know, would like to be in your position someday. What would you say uh, made you such a good evaluator and, you know, led to you having so much success as a recruiter? Well, first off, I guess the, the important thing is, 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 you know, I didn't have all those players. We did the staffs that I was on did we, we, I was a part of their development as my, as the staff that I was with was a part of their development to be able to enjoy, you know, being around 130 some odd players that were drafted and the major leaguers has just been a blessing. But, you know, I was just a part of a staff to help those players with their careers. And, you know, some guys, uh, some guys you help more than others, uh, but still, yeah, that was the first thing is, is, you know, it, it's when you get a chance to be a part of a staff, that's, um, you know, it's no one man show on any staff at all. Um, and the great staffs and the, and the most fun staffs that you're a part of are the ones that, you know, everybody, everybody's really, really good. And so, you know, some guys may take a little bit of a lead on one player or the next, but um, I was just blessed to be around a, a lot of really good talented players. Um, and hopefully I didn't screw them up and was able to help them, um, in their careers. And as an evaluator, I mean, that, that's a deep question. You know, I mean, you, you just try to give your best. You, you really, I think that you become a bit better evaluator when you're, when you're on the road a lot. And when you're, when, when you take days off, I think you become a worse evaluator, um, I think the more you're at the field, the better familiar you're with with the, with the players and the parents and, and just the whole act, uh, everything that's being presented. And the whole act is what I mean by that is, is you know, not just the talented player that has the tools, but, but I want to know about the whole act. And, and, and I want to know about the mother and the father and, and what the family dynamics are and what makes this guy tick. And, you know, if you show up and you watch a player play once or twice, 
Um, and, and boy, it's getting tougher these days because, you know, a lot of decisions are being made quicker and quicker, but, um, you know, the more you can really gain insight into the families and, and the high school coaches that are, that are with these kids and, and, uh, just the details of, of everything about the player, not so much just how fast he is or how, how far he can hit it. Usually you already know that the kids probably got some skills to get you to the ballpark and. And it's about the other things that are most important. So just the evaluator part, I really feel like that's just being there and opening your eyes and opening your ears and trying to learn as much as you can every single day and not taking days off. And and I think just good evaluators are guys that just get out there and really try to, to work hard and, and figure stuff out just uh, to be able to be honest with you, paying attention. So when you, when you, we're putting your first two staffs together at Purdue and now at University of Oregon. What were the key elements that you were looking for in an in assistance? I mean, you were an assistant for a long time. So, you know, you've had a lot of experience through that, that network. What were you looking for in, in building your staff? A little bit of the same in both places. You know, uh, I, wanted, I wanted people that, that kind of understood – the, the lay of the land in that area. I wanted people that were hardworking. I wanted people that were really smart baseball people. You know, you said Coach Horton's on this call. I mean, that I was blessed. I was blessed with Coach Horton. And, and you know, it, whether he's on the call or not, I mean, I was blessed with Coach Horton, Andy Lopez, John Bryant, who played for Coach Horton, and Augie Garrido at Cal State Fullerton was the guy that I was an assistant coach for at, at Los Alamos High School. Um, you know, I got a chance to play for Don Stedden, the win- most winningest coach ever in, in junior college baseball in California. Um, you know, I got a chance to coach uh, for, for and with Mark Hogan at Southeast Missouri State, who's in the Hall of Fame there. It's just, I guess all those coaches brought different things to the table. They were really, really good at or else they wouldn't have been as successful as they were. And, um, and that's what I tried to build some of the staffs that I've had around is just little pieces of what they presented every single day. You know, each one of them probably had a different area. Coach Lopez's deal was intensity. Uh, guys that wanted to grind, work at it, and were really tough-minded people, to put it simply. Uh, George Horton was a guy that is, is the smartest baseball in the dugout coach that you're ever going to be around. The guy knows that X's and O's better than anybody in <laughs> – uh, in baseball and the guy is just brilliant when it comes to what to do game scenarios practice planning uh just preparation and and then on a diff- different level like the the connections with uh, trying to bring family into into the whole thing and the love and the caring piece and you know, and then JB, John Bryant, you know, the intensity and and Don Snedden just the 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 Every guy has had something that he brought that, that I said, wow, okay, well, when I'm picking a staff, I want smart people that are really loyal, that really want to work hard, and we can all seemingly work together for a common goal. And, and yeah, the connections in the area were important, especially when I got to Oregon. I wanted guys that, were, that understood maybe a little bit of the pain of, 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 uh, of some of the things that had happened, uh, but it, also some things that just – we're going to push them to just outwork people and be uh, motivated to, to do some things that maybe others that weren't so connected would do. And so 
I don't know. I don't. I feel as though I mean I, I'm so lucky. The staff I have right now at Oregon is is a. These guys are awesome. I learn from them every day. These guys are just real workers. They show up. I don't have to, you know, check roll or whatever. I mean, these guys want to work. They work so much. It's not even funny. And they're loyal. And they, they're just they're smart guys. Uh, we're not perfect. We we definitely screw up some stuff. And but still, yet yeah, the, the the effort, the integrity, that just all that kind of stuff. I, I just think there's. I mean, I'm blessed. I, I was, re- I'm really lucky with the guys that I have right now, and and I love them, and I think they're really good at what they do. You know, you just talked about every one of the coaches that you uh, you work for. How how would you? What would you say about yourself as a as a head coach? Now you've been one for these years since Purdue, and now into Oregon. What what would you say is your strength, and how would people term you as a coach? Well, I don't know, but I know I got a lot of room to improve, Butch. I really do. You know, I just – I know I got a lot of room to improve. Um, you know, I know I've learned a lot of things from the people that, that, that I paid close attention to, and and uh, and it's helped me a ton, you know, just – and they're just unbelievable blessings, you know. But but I know I have a, a, a ton to, to get better at, to be honest with you, and just um, – I don't know. I, I just hope at the end of the trail and, you, you know, when I think of the people that I've mentioned, I just respect them so much. I mean, they're just – those people were – they're really good at what they did, obviously, and, and they did things um, – they just respected people and were really, really good people. And, I mean, you know, you're in a competitive business and it's, it, you know, every win's so important and this, that, and the other. And at the end of the day, you're probably just going to be remembered more for how you're treating people than, than how much you're winning or losing or whatever. And, um, and just the people that I got a chance to be around in the coaching business, um, really were people that cared about people. And I, I honestly, you know, I wake up in the mornings and, you know, I mean, at, at six o'clock every single morning and, and, you know, before daylight savings is five o'clock in the morning and coach Lopez is sending me a daily scripture. You know, that's his deal. Um, I, I know for a fact that I'm going to get a birthday thing from George Horton or some sort of a, uh, an appreciation thing, uh, a caring thing about my family from coach because he just loves people and he doesn't want to ever miss anything like that. And the list goes on and on. Don Sned. You know, I mean, he he's going to he's going to reach out to you when he when he just when he feels like he's moved. And those people, I guess they all just cared so much. Um, And that's what I remember so much about them. And I hope that someday uh, I'm at a point where people that that when we work together, they still feel like, boy, you know, I just respect that person that I got a chance to work for. And and um, I don't know. I, I know I got a lot of things I need to improve on, Butch. I guess it's kind of a sappy answer, but it's true. No, you're you're really good. Hey, let's talk about lineup construction and what you're trying to do through your order. There's a lot of kids on here that are, you know, they they're always trying to figure out, you know, why am I hitting seven when I think I should be hitting two? What what are you looking for in a leadoff hitter? What does a leadoff hitter have to do for the Oregon Ducks? Well, you got to be good. And so, you know, Urban Meyer, Urban Meyer said real simply, like, if you want to get recruited, be the best player on your high school team. Let's start with that and make sure that the high school coach, when I call him, 
says good things about you and your character and how hard you work. And, and they're not talking about just stuff that you, you don't want to deal with when they get to your program with bad grades and bad team guys and stuff like that. So first off, uh, I think that's great advice that Coach Meyer had, and that's be the, be the, be the best player in a high school team. Um, you know, construct a lineup. Um, well, you know, the, the metrics and stuff like that are changing so much now, you know, and it's about OPS and getting on base and, 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 you know, and what scores runs. Um, ultimately the thing that the metrics doesn't usually show is a, a, a player's instincts and a feel for the baseball game. Um, you know, and that's one of the things I took from George, you know, when, when I got a chance to work with coach Horton, I mean, he, his teams at Fullerton were always teams that were cerebrally off the charts with, with intelligence on the baseball field and that IQ. I don't know if that was uh, represented in the OPS, but, but boy, they sure made it stressful for you, you know, and, and when they had a lead, they didn't usually lose it. And, and they were just hard to beat and they were really tough. And so, you know, the metrics of OPS, I think are fantastic. Um, I think you need to get on base. I think you need to be strong. I think you need to be able to, to, to impact a baseball to where, you know, I mean, it's easier to score when you're hitting doubles and triples and home runs than when you're just slapping singles around the ballpark. Um, but if you are slapping singles around the ballpark, then you need to be a, a, a guy who has an elite speed set or an elite in, instincts uh, set to where you can get great ball in the dirt jumps and, and get to second base and score on singles better than the guy that, maybe hits doubles but can't score on singles because he's he's just not a good instinctive player or he doesn't have the speed. So, you know, I, I think this, this game has room for all involved. Uh, the lineup itself, I don't know. I, I, I want to make it hard for an opponent in the first inning. I think it's really it's really tough. You know, we just got done with the Cal, Cal baseball team, and they've got two of the best conference hitters leading off and hitting second. And I think the leadoff guy may be the slowest guy on their team. But he may be, he may be the best hitter in the league or at least one of them. Um, and it puts stress on the opponent when you start the game that way. And traditionally, it wasn't that way. It was about speed and then a situational guy in the two hole and then some big boys in the three, four and five and then a little bit more speed in the six. And, and so it went and, and the metrics may be changing some of that. Uh, and they might not be, I guess, is, is my statement. And, and yeah, if you, can, if you can crush the tool element, that's great. But let's not forget about what wins baseball games. And that's usually – uh, an instinctive play, uh, a savvy type of a thing. And so learning the game should never be discounted when it comes to, to baseball as opposed to just guys to the, that are just in a facility all day lifting weights and hitting baseballs and trying to improve their exit velocities. Clearly, there's, there's huge value in that, but let's not lose sight of the other side of it, which is the cerebral instinctive part, which there's huge value in that as well. How, how much do you guys um, use for analytics with your guys? I mean, what are some po important, you know, there's a lot of kids on here. There's coaches on here that are, are learning the game, just like all of us are. What are some important analytics that kids should, that are important that kids should have that you think that you guys use at the University of Oregon for your, your teams? Well, the guys that score runs the most or when you got a lineup that has 900 OPSs throughout the lineup are better. That's that's first and foremost. Is that a is that a auto like a, a mandatory got to do it? Well, no. Then there's some other pieces too. Does he play defense? Right. Um, you know, because there's there's that variable too. It's not just about scoring runs, but it's, it's about preventing runs. And um, and so there's got to be a balance there. Are are your are your best OPS players going to be your uh, 
best players um, on the field to be able to help you win a baseball game. And that includes more than just an OPS. You know, if you just stacked up nine guys with great OPSs in an order, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to win a game. I mean, you know, the best teams that I've been a part of are probably your best defensive teams as well. And so, um, you know, that metric is one that I don't know if the, the latest gurus are really on as much as, as needs to be because the, the, the bottom line is, is pitching and defense is still going to be a staple every single day. Hitting's going to come and go. Uh, OPS, yes, it, it, it does on a piece of paper equal out to more runs. But if you can prevent the, the other team from scoring runs, you know, one, one can be more than enough. And, uh, you know, we had that say, as a saying at Pepperdine when I played, you know, I mean, we had a, a pitcher that was an oral Hershiser clone uh, named Patrick Ahern, and he sunk the ball at 82 to 84 miles an hour, and he just worked the corners and was at, was at the knees or beneath it with sink, late sink, change speeds. Um, and, I mean, when we, when we would score one run, he'd look at the offense and go, thanks, boys, I got the rest of this one. This is a W. And, uh, and by God, he'd shut people out all the time. And, I mean, he wouldn't throw more than 86 miles an hour. And he was a heck of a competitor. And one run for that guy with his makeup and his stuff and command of the baseball was enough. And so, you know, when it came to OPS at that point in time, you said, to hell with the OPS. Let's go play some defense for this guy because he's going to throw a bunch of ground balls. And when he does, it's our job to catch him and record the out. When we do, we're going to win the game. And that's the objective of this thing. It's not necessarily to have the best OPS lineup. It's, you know, at the end of the day, did you win or did you lose? And if you won, then you did things better than – the opponent, and that's the objective of the day. What do good defenders do? They're ready on every pitch. All seven guys in the field should be decleating with their feet hitting the ground a split second after uh, the hitter would be making contact. If they're not there, then they're failing miserably on each pitch, and all it takes is one pitch for you to lose a game. Um, when and you, Butch, that's when something. You... Hey, I'm going to tell you something. That's hard because now, if you look at the average game, nine inning game, not a high school game, but a nine inning game, you're looking at basically a. If you're going good now, you're probably going to be hanging around 130 pitches for that game. You know, if you're going real good, it's 100 pitches, but you know, it could be in excess of 200 pitches. And you know, uh, one of the greatest lessons that George used to talk about, Coach Horton, he used to talk about real simple stuff like. You know, I don't care how many runs that you're giving up in an inning, just just minimize the number of runs. And so if it's a second and third, nobody out situation, boy, if we can get out of this inning with a zero, obviously you want a zero. But if we can get out of it with a one, that's clearly better than a two. And so uh, so many defenders will, in my opinion, um, lose their focus, which is mental toughness on one pitch, two pitches, get a bad jump on a ball. And the next thing you know is a ball may land in front of them or they'll get a crummy jump on a ball. And instead of it being an out, one of the precious 27, uh, next thing you know is an inning's going. And it changes the entire course of the game, who's going to be hitting in certain situations, and it's controllable. And, and that's the, the mentally the, – when you talk about mental toughness, if you can play defense for each and every pitch in sync, feet hitting the ground at the right time for no matter how many pitches you play in a game – that's what mental toughness is. That's what a good defender starts with. And then the skill set follows. But if you can't do that, I don't care about the skill set. It, it probably is irrelevant because you're going to get beat out eventually. 
What is mental toughness in a hitter? Every pitch. Doesn't matter what happened to you last pitch. The pitchers are good. The stuff is better better by the year. It's ridiculous. Um, and they're going to fail. And so if a 300 average, which is rare these days, means you're going to fail seven out of the ten times. We've heard this whole cliche a million times. But that means you got to be able to deal with the fact that all you're going to fail. You're going to fail a ton. All it takes is one pitch in that at-bat for you to succeed on and win the at-bat. And when you square a ball up, that's winning the at-bat. When you, when you foul off pitch after pitch after pitch and you grind down a pitcher, that's winning the at-bat. And so the stat sheet doesn't recognize success in, in a lot of the, 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 uh, the, the ways that moms and dads usually or sometimes players view things. It's not necessarily about, well, I was, I was two for three today. Well, you might have had a bad two for three. You might have had literally three at-bats that sucked, and the stat sheet said you hit 60, 67 on the day, and the stat sheet says how good you did. But really, you had a bad day. And so to be able to look at that and self-assess whether you had a good day, you might have been 0 for 5. But if you saw 7 to 10 pitches in an at-bat five times in a row, that's a pretty dang good day because you've totally taken out uh, you've taken innings off of that pitcher that's out there trying to throw and compete against you. And um, that's going to help your team. Ultimately at the end of the day, it's about the team and did the team win? And if the team did win, um, you'd like to say you had a big part of that being ready on defense, huge part of that, you know, just having quality at bats and stretching a seven to 10 pitch at bat each and every at bat that may not show up on your stat sheet. You may be old for five, but if you saw 50 pitches, 35 to 50 pitches in a game, I guarantee you the next guy behind you in the order or the next guy behind somebody in the next eight hitters, if not all those next eight hitters are benefiting from your unselfish play and team play to be able to help them out. And that ultimately is team sport. T tell these guys what the difference is between a team at bat and a selfish at bat. Guy on second base swinging out of your ass. Really? All we need is a hit. Like, all we need is you to square a baseball up. And so usually middle of the field or a lot of the times, I, I'd encourage young, young people, you want to learn the game, it's real simple. Get into some box scores. Go through college baseball. Oh, you want to be in the SEC, great. Go to the SEC. You want to be in the Pac-12. You think the Pac-12 is the answer. Go to the Pac-12. Wherever you can find a, a box score. Look at a box score and see where the hit is going with a guy in scoring position that scores a runner. And, you know, most of the time, the hit isn't to the pole side of the field. It's to the middle or the opposite field in RBI situations. Usually you get pitched differently. You're not going to get as many fastballs fat out over the plate in those situations. You're going to get pitched tougher with nastier stuff. Um, but yet the discipline required to sit middle and opposite field for a team at bat um, which is a runner in scoring position, usually type of an at-bat, uh, is, is something that obviously you spend a lot of time teaching. It takes, it takes character to do that. It takes unselfishness to do that. Um, but yet for all the young uh, baseball players on the call, uh, what value it would be for you to just study a box score and look, hey, this hitter that was hitting, if he's a right-handed hitter and you see single to right field, or uh, fly ball the right field that was a sacrifice fly with a runner on third and less than two outs, as opposed to uh, runners on first and third, one out, 
six four three and the guy's a right-handed hitter, or four six three and he's a left-handed hitter. You know, that's telling you that that player is potentially coming off of a ball instead of staying behind it, elevating a ball to the outfield for a simple team at bat sack fly, or working the other way, low and hard, where usually more holes are, and you can you can get uh, you know you can get RBIs a lot better that way. Usually, the guys that have the the higher um, averages with runners in scoring position are usually the guys that can hit the ball the middle and the other way more often than not. It's awesome stuff. Look, I want to talk to you about, I, I listen to your game ending comments usually, and I can honestly say, I never hear you talk, uh, negatively. Uh, you're always looking forward. Uh, you're not dwelling on things. You know, you have such a positive mindset, what goes into building one, a positive mindset, and what do you do to promote this type of thinking? Boy, you know, those are nice things that you say, Butch. And, um, <laughs> you know, in the coach's room, I'll say it this way. Sometimes the coach's room can sound different than the interview room, and we're very critical of ourselves in the coach's room and, and very specific about things in the coach's room as it should be. Um, and – and, you know, when it comes to the interview room, it, it should sound a certain way. And, 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 and that's the way it should be. Um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, if you're standing in front of a camera, I guess. I never saw George Horton stand in front of a camera. Andy Lopez, you know, any of these guys stand in front of the camera and say, well, had we had this guy do this, we would have won the game and it's all his fault. I, I never heard those guys say that. And those guys are Hall of Fame coaches. And so if it's good enough for them, it's, it's the right thing to do. Um, you know, critical, uh, behind the scenes. Yeah. I think that's important. You know, when you're in your group huddle and you can have honest conversations with your players and really break it down with constructive criticism that says, Hey, here are the things that we did great. Here are the things that we didn't do so great. Uh, the player that wants to be coached and coached hard to where that player, uh, can value truth, not, not BS. Not just, well, I'm going to make you feel good. Hey, you did great today. Well, did you really? Um, and if you didn't, then let's at least have the open and honest conversation about it. Because if you really want to improve and get better, you know, uh, a bunch of smoke isn't going to help you get better. Um, now, now, publicly, we don't need to probably talk about too much of that stuff. But shouldn't we behind the scenes? Shouldn't we be able to have the trust built up with us, uh, coaches, players, because the coach – and the player both know that we're, we're, we're grinding together. This is us. This is an us thing. This isn't a, you know, when, when a player of mine, uh, you know, when he fails or succeeds, I mean, it isn't just throw a party when he, when he succeeds. I mean, boy, we hurt when he fails. And, and that means that, boy, we probably haven't worked enough on it. We haven't connected well enough. And, and ultimately that's coach's job is, is if you see a player fail today, on something it's going to happen every day well when that happens you know that note needs to be put down well if we're not doing this good enough we're not working on it well enough we're not we're not investing either at the right level the right message something's a disconnect and we need to improve and and so if it truly is about us um then it's never about identifying the player as the reason why well the player clearly is probably the reason why success happens or failure happens because those guys are playing the game. But ultimately as a coach, it's your job to prepare that son of a gun for success. And if, if he fails, then, 
then shouldn't that be ownership that you take as well? And, you know, um, all the coaches that I've been around uh, that were really successful, they, they put it in different ways, but they all say basically the same thing that says, you know, hey, if, if they're not doing it, then that's a reflection on the coach. So, you know, look in the mirror and get better. That's a great answer. Let me ask you this. You know, um, you're seeing it since you've been a head coach. These guys are coming in from high school. And, uh, you know, obviously they, they want to come there and compete for a job. What are the things that you're seeing over the last years of incoming freshmen which make them not ready to compete for jobs? Work ethic. You guys just aren't working hard? They don't, they don't understand work ethic? No, they understand uh, – they understand – what has gotten them to this level. And that's usually a lot of God given ability. Um, but they don't understand work ethic. That's going to take them and carry them through the next level. Um, and that's really hard because, you know, uh, unfortunately as human beings, we, we usually have to fail before we realize, well, we, we need to make some changes somehow, some way. And so, you know, the, the work that you're putting in, in high school, um, uh, that that's great. The work that you're putting in in junior college, that's great. But these guys that are playing at the highest levels of baseball, I mean, you're talking about freak, freak athletes. And so how are you going to beat them? And how are you going to stay up there? Like it, it, it's for me, it's work ethic uh, is, is a huge, huge piece of the thing. I see guys that are hungry and they want to come in and they want to work and they're appreciative of, of the, the opportunity. Um, but at the same point in time, you know, when stuff goes sideways, what you going to act like? Because that's really what it comes down to. It's not when you're going good. It's when you're going bad. What what are you going to act like when it's not good? Are you in the cage? I'll give you a great example. Our shortstop right now, Josh Kasovich, is a freaking stud. This guy got – I mean, he was uh, – I didn't recruit him. I had nothing to do with recruiting him. That was the, the previous staff that recruited him. All right, all the credit to them. Shows up, and he's a third baseman pitcher. Um, and he's an 86 to 88 mile an hour right hander. He and and I, I would tell him this to his face, and I hope if he was ever heard this, he he would never take this personal because he's a tough kid. But he didn't have a real jacked up body. wasn't super strong. He was a little doughy. And I mean, this kid has come in here and he had some ability for sure. And he just works and works and works tirelessly. The guy is a rock now. I mean, just a rock. He he's put together as well as anybody. Last night, we we win a game, and he has a bad game. For, for Josh, he has a bad game. He's not on it with a swing. I don't know. He might have gotten a hit or two on the stat sheet. And none of them were good at-bats, and he wasn't real excited about his night, nor he should have been. And I'm leaving the ballpark after we meet for quite a while afterwards as a staff, and we're, you know, we're, we're 2-0 on the weekend, but we're not feeling great about some things. And we, we have a lengthy meeting. Well, I'm walking out of the ballpark, and sure enough, I'm hearing noise in, in our hitting facility. Sure enough, I walk out there, it's Josh Kasovich, and he's out there, and he's got he's got another player out there that's feeding balls in, in the high-velocity fastball machine, and and, I, and I'm and i going, holy cow, and this guy's trying to crank up the velocity even higher because he feels like he's not being challenged enough, he's not good enough yet. The kid's probably worked his way into somewhere between the second, second to the fifth round, I don't know, somewhere around there, we'll see, time will tell. But but this was not a prospect at a high school. This was not a draft pick. This was not somebody that was ranked in your rankings and the perfect games and, 
And I've got respect for those people because they work hard too. And, and, and Jerry and Betty Ford have a tremendous product out there that, that they've worked hard to establish. This is no shot on that whatsoever. I, I have tremendous respect for that organization. But he wasn't a guy that was ranked by that operation, uh, regarded highly. And this kid has made himself that player. Aaron Zavala last year turns out to be the second pick in the first round. He was a walk-on at the University of Oregon to begin with. And this kid's work ethic is just extreme. Mentality. Like, like it's not just are you working hard, but it's it's getting your rest, Butch. It's, it's are you eating the right stuff? Are you, are you going to bed at night at the right time? The whole thing. You know, Coach Horton used to talk about the compound effect. You know, all things that talk, that come together. I think he got it from Ken Revisa, the late great Ken Revisa. When it comes to middle game, you're talking about things that that these kids. Um, it's a compound effect. If you're going, to, if you're losing an hour or two of sleep at night, I mean, Ken did a tremendous outline of of what the compound effect of losing two hours of sleep and instead of shutting the device down at at 9 p.m doing it at 11 p.m. and over the course of the week how many hours you're losing and it's wasted time and how that affects the body and the strength and the strength building and the mind and the sharpness and the, and the quick twitch of the player. If you're really motivated young player out there and you want to do this thing, don't talk about it. Do it. Put the device down. It ain't helping you probably anyways. It's connecting you with friends that you may or may not have in the future. That's kind of a superficial type of a deal anyways. If you're really disciplined and connected to what is important to you, it's not about the device. It's probably about your rest. It's probably about your recovery, uh, your sleep, um, and then your work ethic while you're getting a chance to do this because you only have a certain amount of time anyways. And so if you're going to kick somebody's ass out there, you dang well better make sure that your goals and objectives are, are laid out clearly to where you're not the guy that's losing sleep and and the compound effect is working against you. It can work for you just as well as it's working against you. It's your decision. That's good stuff. How much? How uh, how much time do you guys, the Ducks, spend in the weight room during a week? Well, the NCAA is giving us twenty hours a week of practice and strength training total. That's the NCAA's rule. Um, you know, and I heard uh, at least one great coach say, if you think 20 hours a week is going to get it done for you, uh, you know, fill in the blank because that's a pipe dream. Uh, you know, and so uh, what we do is, is you know, we'll lift weights. It doesn't, we don't have an in or an out-of-season weightlifting program, um, and that's designed after Major League Baseball. I feel as though in Major League Baseball they lift every single day. The guy that says, oh, it's game day, I can't lift weights. Loser, get out of here. Like, look at Chapman. Look at some of these dudes that are playing Major League Baseball. There's no such thing as it's game day, I'm off. Uh, it's, it's a work day, and you get seven of them in the week. Um, what we do, I'm not saying that this is perfect, but what we do is we'll lift them four days a week in and out of season. Some of the lifts may be tapered down uh, with respect to our travel schedule. Um, you know, it may have something to do with uh, more of a stretching more of a uh, elasticity type of a program and some of those things. I let Daryl Hunter, he's tremendous. He's our strength coach. He's a baseball-only strength coach, one of the few in the country, and we've got that as a blessing here at the University of Oregon. But, you know, whether it's mobility um, or whether it's, it's that kind of a lift, uh, we're still going to have them in there four days a week lifting. And a lot of those lifts are really, really hard, regardless of whether they're in or out of season. Um, 
but still, yeah, we like to kind of take more of a professional model to, to the development of the strength. It, and, and that can kill you, to be honest with you. If you got a bunch of guys that aren't going to bed at the right time, it's just going to peter them out and tire them out. And if you've got that kind of a culture in your team that's more interested in spending time together away from the ballpark and staying up late, then your chances probably on the field uh, go down quite a bit because you just you, you only have so much energy. Okay, let me ask you this. Ideally, when you're building your team, you can build it from high school, JC, uh, transfer portal. What what ideally for you is the best way for you to have success building your roster? Well, I mean, at the University of Oregon, I think that – I mean, I, I want to be able to build it from basically around here and working outward. Um, but still, you – we, we don't just, you know, just around our general geographic area and you, you know, develop a radius and you work outwards from there. I, I think people that, um, especially the kids from the state of Oregon, um, I, I think it means a lot. I think it's tough for kids, to be honest with you, these days. I think there's, there's uh, built-in excuses and crutches and all this kind of stuff. If you got to play in front of your mom and dad every single day and answer to them, that's stressful at times. Or you can see it if you're a real winner as an opportunity to be critiqued in the right way because your mom and dad expect you to act and play a certain way. Again, mindset. What, what are you going to turn that into? Um, so uh, from a recruiting standpoint, yeah, I'd love to have them uh, closer to home, working outwards from there. But I, I, want the best, I want the best player who wants to win baseball games to show up to Oregon. I mean uh, – and it doesn't really matter where he's from. If, if he's about the right stuff and he's about the team first um, and he's about working hard and doing all the right things for the program, I mean, I don't care where he's from. He could be from a different country. And uh, and that's fine for me. I mean, I, I don't I don't mind whatsoever. I want to give opportunities to those that, that have earned it and deserved it. Um, but, but ultimately, I'm just looking for guys that, uh, you know, really just – are selfless and, and, and want to play team baseball. I'm not looking for the guy that, that has the, the greatest tools in the world, especially if that guy doesn't care about you winning baseball games. I'd rather not have that, that player, you know, even with the great tools. I'd, I'd really rather have the player that has good tools. Yeah, of course, because that helps. But, uh, you know, if, if you're not about the team and you're not about accountability and, and you're being told that everything is somebody else's fault, um, and, you, and your mom and dad are sitting in the stands complaining about the umpires every single time a borderline pitch goes by you, and it's not your fault, but it's the umpire's fault. I'm not interested in that. I'd really rather have a player that, that says, okay, yeah, I got screwed on that call. And you know what? I don't really need that call. I'm so good that I'm, gonna, I'm still going to beat this guy, whether that umpire's got a bigger zone or not. I'm still going to put a barrel on a ball, and I might have to foul a couple of pitches that are, that are balls, but he's going to call strikes. I might have to work a little harder for this one, but I also know that I'm going to still get this one done. Just, just that accountability of, of ownership in players and coaches. Um, you know, between Coach Lopez and Coach Horton, those two guys, in different ways, they screamed it at you. Like, like quit making excuses. And they would say it in different ways, sometimes with a hug and sometimes with an absolute uh, ass-chewing, they would do it. But like nobody cares. At the end of the day, you're either successful or you're not. And when when you are, then people are going to tell you how great you are, and that's probably not real. 
And when you're not successful, they're going to tell you how crummy you are. And that's probably not real either. You know what's real inside your heart. Uh, so for me, Butch, I, I, I don't know. For me, it's just a matter of, of, of just doing it right, I guess. Okay, you talk about doing it right. And, you know, that's the way I think all coaches intend to do it. What do you think of the way uh, kids are today? Uh, do you think it's a different kid? Do you have to watch what you say now instead of being able to truly coach them? And when you do have to get in their ass, can you get in their ass? Well, sure you can, but every generation is going to be a little different, right? I mean, you know, my generation's not as tough as the one before us that had wars being fought and, and my grandparents in breadline. I, I didn't experience that. My life was way more silver spoon than that. I didn't, I didn't have a draft. You know, and so for me to, to stand in front of a group and, and criticize this generation, younger generation, about being soft and entitled, this, that, and the other. Well, I didn't have a draft when I grew up. I didn't have, have – uh, I didn't go to war. I wasn't doing these things at Yogi Berra and Ted Williams and stuff where they left their Major League Baseball career to go fight in a war and then come back afterwards. I, I didn't do that stuff. Um, and so, to be honest with you, thanks to those people, I, I had a lot easier. And so do these kids today, probably thanks to the people in front of us. Well, um, so, yeah, I think you got to talk with them a little bit differently, but that doesn't mean they don't care. Uh, you just got to do a little bit different with them. You, you might have to talk with them one-on-one. -on -one. Are you going to uh, browbeat them as much as you might have been able to a different generation? I don't know about that. I wasn't around then. Um, you know, uh, I'm sure that they responded differently for each generation, but these kids still in their hearts care. They want to be successful. Um do you have to communicate with them more? Do you have to do uh, expire other opportunities for you to connect with them? Well, yeah, but I don't think that's new to coaching. That's just called adapting to, to the players that you have. Uh, and if we can do that, and we're constantly searching for ways to do it, um, but if you can do it, you're probably, you know, in the lead when it comes to how you're, pre uh, how you're doing, I guess. Um, but it, it, yeah, I, I think these guys want to be successful. I really do. And all of them want to be successful. I don't think it's a generational thing. But, yes, I do think that you have to coach somebody differently today than you did differently in the generations before me or even my generation. But I think that's a natural expectation. I think that's a great answer. And I was glad you put it that way. I think it, it totally is generational. But I'll tell you this much, Butch. Uh, for the parents involved out there, yeah. it's okay to tell them no. When, when, when your kid's asking you, hey, uh, uh, hey, if, uh, you know, hey, coaches, or uh, hey, mom or dad, is it okay if, and believe me, they already know the answer, you know, and they're checking you, you know, to see if you really are with them or if they can walk on you. And it's not all about a walk on relationship type deal. It's, but, it, you know, I mean, hey, there's, they're 18 years old and in our world, they're 18 to 23. And so there still is a little bit of that immaturity that they're trying to feel out where the lines are and stuff. They respond well to discipline. The best thing that we did is we started at seven o'clock in the morning breakfast. It wasn't the most popular thing, but yet now in time, it's become the most popular thing. We haven't had a guy that is even, we haven't had a guy late in, I don't even know how long now tomorrow. Of course we'll have a guy late now that I say that I'll jinx myself, but, um, no, I mean, I think that everybody wants structure and discipline. You know, when, when, 
for me, just as a dad, all right, take baseball out of it, just as a dad and, and my wonderful wife, Lori, she's awesome. But when we had our first child, Joelle, when she was born, I remember the days that I slept at night and didn't sleep at night. And it was all about whether we kept her on a schedule or not. And I think the same thing, if you keep it as simple as that, holds true for these young people. Are they on a schedule? If the answer is yes, then they're probably doing okay. And there's some real structure in what they're doing. And if they're not, boy, it starts getting loose and they start getting confused. And the baby gets up in the middle of the night. They're yelling and screaming about a bottle because, my, my gosh, you know. And so the whining and complaining starts at birth when the schedule's not there. It continues when they're 18 to 23. Great answer. That's that's great stuff. Um, what do you think is going to be the roster sizes for next year? You think it's going to stay at 40? Uh, is it 40 or 41? And do you think it could go down to 35? That would, If that happens, that's going to put like 1,500 extra players into the transfer portal. What's your opinion on that? <laughs> you better be good. <laughs> Yeah, right. I mean, hey, I can give you my opinion. I can tell you what I wished and what I hope and all that kind of stuff. That's all well and good. But, hey, youngsters, you better be good because uh, just like – and it's no different for us as coaches. Like, you better be good because guess what? There's somebody dying for your job. Yep, no doubt about Sorry that Sorry to one. put it so um, bluntly, but it's, it's about that real. And – um, roster sizes, I don't know. The NCAA is changing their tune every day. You know, I mean, hey, let's just look at the last two weeks, for example, in in, uh, in in the NCAA athletics. You've got athletes now demanding better NIL deals or they will transfer from the schools that they play at. That's happening. Miami basketball, right? Um, no, I mean, it isn't probably just one school. It's it's out there. It's 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 everywhere. It's not an attack on one school or another or one player or another. It's the world we live in. And so uh, if that's the, what what the NCAA has decided, that this is this is where we're going with it, which is out of coaches' hands. That's out of my hands. Um, whatever they put in front of us is is real, and they put that in front of us. Well, I can't predict what the rules are. And so – I guess what I'm saying is regardless of what the rules are, guys out there, like, like <laughs> don't hope for the best. And if the best is, wow, I hope they have a roster of 50. Well, are you going to be good sitting on the bench being number 50? Or would you rather play right. at said junior college and get your tail better? I mean, hey, let me tell you something. Uh, high school players out there, <laughs> best advice I could give you, Go watch some of these junior colleges practice. I walked into the junior college after I transferred from the University of Hawaii. I was on like a big scholarship at Hawaii. I played all the time. I left uh, because I just felt like, you know what? I'm not improving and I'm, I'm getting my ass kicked. I went over the Stanford series where literally the Friday night guy was Rick Helling. The Saturday night, oh, I'm sorry. The Friday night guy was Stan Spencer. The Saturday guys when you're scouting Butch, so I hate to date you, but hey, fella. Yeah, no, I'm. I was waiting for you to screw Dang up. It. On that Stan one. Spencer threw on Friday. Mike Musina threw on Saturday, and Rick Helling threw on Sunday. That was an O for for me on my freshman uh, opening weekend. <laughs> and then I rolled into UCLA where they had Zank and Ariel, Zank and Arrow, and two others. My first two college weekends were over. I realized real quick, 
I wasn't any good. And I could take my big scholarship and act like I was the king. And it didn't mean a damn thing. I stunk. I needed to get better. I chose to go to a junior college even after I played a ton because I was told Don Stenton is a tremendous baseball mind and he could help you get better. And that's why I went to Santa Ana. That's not Newport Beach hanging out on the beach with sunscreen. That's Santa Ana where there's gangs and there's all kinds of things that aren't really fun. Uh, but that dude knew baseball. He helped me. He helped me get re- get me ready as I walked onto that campus, even after an extremely humbling freshman year at Hawaii, as I kind of described. I still walked onto that junior college campus thinking, wow, this is <laughs> – man, they're, they're lucky to have me. I'm a D1 transfer. Butch, after day one, I realized I wasn't even in the top ten at that junior college. I, I was so – humbled i went home and i couldn't even explain it to my mother uh and she's thinking oh you're gonna be this and you're gonna be that i'm sitting there going oh my god if you only knew mom i'm not even close and if i could recommend one thing for the young player out there go to a junior college and watch them play like you know you're in northern california there's so many junior colleges that are so good Folsom lakes uh delta uh, Sac City. I mean, the list goes on and on. There's so much good base. Santa Rosa, Damon Nyland. I mean, so many of these junior colleges are so dang good. Uh, just go and watch them practice. And then honestly look at yourself and say, where would I stack up on this field? Get your mind off the D1 scholarship. Go to the JC practice. If you're the best player on that JC field and you're a dude there, all right, then let's let's start sending out emails and having your coach correspond with D1 coaches. But if you ain't even in the top five at those places, like, like, stop it. You need to improve first. And in time, you'll be ready to play because ultimately, if you're number 50 on a roster and the NCAA allows us to have 50 on a roster, I don't think next year they're going to have let us have more than 35, to be honest with you. Um, but nevertheless, they may change tomorrow and say, hey, you can have 60. Well, if you're, <laughs> you're only going to travel 27 – and so even right now, we got 38 players on our roster. It kills me to leave 11 players home every road trip, Butch. They have practices yeah, that's at right. our that, – That'd be they hard. They have practices at our – it's not my decision. The Pac-12 allows us to have 27 players travel. And so there's 11 that stay back and practice without the team and coaches. That's – whoa, that's reality, all right? And so some of them are hurt, uh, you know, whatever. You fill in the blank on what the guys behind are. But they're still human beings that have dreams and aspirations, and they're not with your baseball team while you're traveling to Stanford or UCLA or wherever you're playing. And and so I guess my suggestion is, is if your goal is to be at the – I coach at the University of Oregon. Your goal is to be at the University of Oregon as the 50th player on the roster. Oh, man. (laughs) That's not – come on. Be better than that. Like – like be a starter, uh, be, you know, make the travel roster, like being on the roster at 50 or 38 or 40 or whatever. I mean, be a dude. And if that means I need to, I need to just check myself for a year, go and get strong at a community college. Yet strength is huge, man. Get big in that weight room, pitcher, position player, get strong, get more athletic, get more mobile and, and play. If you're not playing, you're not going to get better. All right. And so for those just simple staples, you know, so many of these people are caught up in, wow, you got a scholarship at a D1 place or you're this and that at a D1 place. (laughs) Hey, my best hitter right now just transferred in from a D2 school. So, you know, when it comes to D1, uh, hey, 
yeah, there's greatness in D1. I get it. But there's also greatness in a lot of other levels and some real studs. Go to a JC practice. Go watch them. Take a peek. See what they got. Watch their frontline pitching. See what that's like. See what their frontline players are. Try to figure out if they're plus runners or what their tool sets are and how good they really are as players. And take your mom and dad with you, too, because that's probably humbling for them. We all as parents have tremendous goals for us as kids. Um, and sometimes they're out of touch with reality. Sometimes they're in touch with reality. Uh, you know, you're going to hang out together and play video games at times or just waste time sometimes at the house or killing times on a hike or doing other things. Take, take a couple of days and go watch some of these JUCOs play just to have an opinion. And I guarantee you, you're going to walk away going, holy cow, I got down to the dugout and I watched some of these guys. They're, they're men. They're big, strong, physical men with bat speed that I am not seeing at the high school level. I didn't know this existed at the junior college or the Division II level. And you talk about great coaching out there at the D2 level. Sorry to get long on this, Butch, but I think it's an important point. No, you're good. I, I really feel as though it's an important point to, to, to drive home that there's great baseball out there. And even some D1 opportunities may not be all that spectacular when it comes to learning and development. And it's your job. I mean, if you've committed to a school and you've never watched them play or practice, what are you going off of? Like, like yep. what are you going off of? Just the fact that they got a nice uh, sweatshirt or a nice decal and, and they, they play in a certain league? I mean, that's a little light for me. I mean, you know, uh, are, they, are they really developing those players? Did you like how that practice went? Did you feel like those coaches were just in the trenches with their guys? Was it a good fit for you? Uh, you know, are you ready for that? You know, did you go and experiment at the junior college and take a peek at those places and say, hey, I mean, hey, Wally Kincaid didn't lose games at Cerritos Community College. George Horton told me stories about that. Andy Lopez told me stories about the Harbor, L.A. Harbor Community College that are just wars. And these two are are like rival gangs going at it back in the day. And and yet you talk about the great players that came, the Bobby Magianises of the world, the Bob Hamlins at Santa Ana Community College. I mean, th there's so many great, great players that come from that level. And yet, you know, now I hear people talk about, well, you know, you know, you know I don't want to be a Juco guy. I'm better than that. Well, make sure that, make sure that you know that answer before you make that statement. That is such unbelievable advice. And the passion you're talking with tonight is – incredible and i can't tell you how much i appreciate that i got two questions two questions left for you and i really appreciate your time uh, after a big weekend series tell me academically uh how do you tie that to a player's integrity character what that player usually becomes because of his academic success well let's be or non -excess. Well, let's be honest. I mean, guys that are really good players that have crappy grades still get opportunities, and I'm going to be honest with you about that. And there's people that Please. tell you the, the opposite, and I don't believe that's true. Um, you know, but still, yeah, I will say this much. You know, um, I do believe there's a direct correlation to grades uh, and, and discipline. And, okay, for example, one of the rules we have, and I don't know if this is right or this is wrong or whatever, but this is just a rule that we have, all right? Um, if we got a guy, he could be the best player we have. If he decides to miss a tutoring session or be late to a tutor tutoring session tonight, real simple. He, he don't, he doesn't play tomorrow at practice. He goes to the, our study center and 
uh, if we're if we have a three hour day tomorrow with practice, then he's he's devoting three hours in the study center with the tutors. And it doesn't matter. It, okay, it's a game day. Okay, you're not going to be bench your star player. Uh, that's false. You know, and so it's the same standard for all of them is how we try to do it. Um, I do believe that the grades that a player throws out there, it's a complete package and it, it, it gets summed up in this. Um, each player I feel like has a maximum GPA that they could probably attain. Success isn't necessarily a 4.0. There could be a kid who has learning uh, deficiencies and just wrestles with dyslexia and some other things that, man, if he gets a 2.5 GPA, he's crushing it. Even with all the help and tutoring, he's crushing it. He's giving you everything he's got, and that's what you're asking for. So if you've got a 4.0 in your pocket, well, then then let's get a 4.0 or close to it. If you've maximum, you've got a 2.7 in your pocket, well, then nail it. Get your 2.7 or at least be right there close to it um, because that's what you can provide, then that's what we should expect. And not all people on the field with athletic abilities or in the classroom are the same. And so there's not one standard, hey, you got to be a 3.5 student or I don't like you. Um, That's not true. But we do expect your best. And so whatever your best is, is what we're going to expect. And if you're not giving your best, that's a problem. Now, if you're a guy that can get a 4.0 student and you're hanging around a 2.5, I got some real questions about you. And when we find that stuff out from guidance counselors, when we're doing our evaluations, or secretaries in the guidance counselor's office that are actual high school students with you. That can be revealing. When we get Missy, who happens to be the secretary's, uh, she's on, she's a TA, and she's hanging out answering the phone, and we call about said player. And instead of just going straight to the guidance counselor, we happen to say, hey, so what's your name, and who are you, and why are you answering the phone? Oh, I'm just a TA. Oh, well, that's nice. Hey, I'm calling about uh, this player. You don't happen to know him, do you? Guess who happens to talk about that player more than even the guidance counselor? Now, it doesn't so happen that you're going to take that student's uh, opinion of the player so much, but depending on how specific that student may be, boy, it can either give you a real peace in your heart for recruiting that player and his family, or it could really give you some red flags that maybe you need to ask some detailed questions to the guidance counselor, coach, people behind the scenes a little bit more. So so don't undervalue about the people that, that you think are, are piled up with you and you're tight. and We're good, right? Um, yeah, they, you might be good with them, but I don't know that they always respect you. And so uh, make sure that when you're, you're answering those questions, those are great ways that professional scouts and college coaches get information when they start asking. I know pro scouts start asking those managers behind the, the, uh, the home plate area that are doing video and keeping charts and making no money. It seems like the smart pro scout always seems to find that guy or gal and say, hey, so uh, let's talk a little. What do you got on this star player? And those veteran scouts are doing it for that same reason. They're, they want to know the details of that player. They don't want the BS. They don't want the lie. And they know that sometimes, you know what, you're going to have to dig a little bit to find out the real truth on the player. So, player, uh, make sure if you've got things that are hiding in the closet, they're going to show up. And so the best way to do it is to not have all those things that are just stuck in that closet, some skeletons that you don't feel good about. Um, that, that ain't it, man. That, that ain't it, you know. 
uh, just do things right and things will work out for you, especially if you're grinding it out and you got the ability to play the game. It'll, it'll, it'll work out for you. Been unbelievably candid. I last question for you. And I hope that you can be more candid. Um, if you could give kids and families any information that you've experienced over playing, coaching, assistant coaching, head coaching, what would you, what advice would you give to help people in this process? You better be humble. You better be humble. I'm, <laughs> I, the last two people I worked for were George Horton and Andy Lopez, two Hall of Fame coaches. They're as smart as they get, and they're not coaching anymore. And if they want to coach, they're, they're smart people. Those guys could do it and do it excellently today. Those guys are amazing. Um, it's a fickle business when it comes to a lot of things out there and, um, to act as a coach or a player, like you got the answers is a really a, a big mistake. I mean, these guys, the guys that I got a chance to be around every day, I mean, oh, it's so humbling just to see those people and how they did it and, and how they cared about people, you know what I mean? And, and, uh, these opportunities are just so rare. And so, you know, while you get the chance to have these opportunities, boy, you better be humble and appreciate them because they can dry up on you in a hurry, whether it's it's for a good reason or not. Um, and and for me, it's just understanding that I think is really important. Just, you know, I had a player today and I met his, his family after the game, a kid named Tyler Gannis, who was he shouldn't be with us today. He had cancer. He, he was he was a bubble boy back in the day and. And he didn't have any blood cells that were, were positive blood cells that were going to allow him to live. And somehow he made it through it. And this guy's the best worker that I've ever coached. And, and his success story is tremendous. And I met his mom and dad today for the first time. Um, and it was too late to meet them for the first time. And yet they just stayed out of our business. They didn't want to be in the middle of it. And I mean, just the humility and the opportunity that this young person brings to the table every day and the grind. He's, he doesn't care about being cool. He doesn't care about being one of the boys. He just wants to be respected. He appreciates the opportunity at such a level that's so extreme it's not even funny. And for me to see guys like, uh, you know, to, to work with the people that I've worked with, every one of them could still be successfully coaching today. Don Sneddon all the way down. Age has nothing to do with it. There, there's For me, these people, just opportunities sometimes aren't there or are there. And when they're there, guys, my gosh. If you waste a day, you're a fool. And if you don't appreciate a day, you're a fool. And I thought we learned that through COVID, to be honest with you. And yet we didn't learn it good enough because the human nature is still, you know, what it is. And, and you know, it'll be fine. We always have tomorrow, right? And, and that's just not it. The mentality isn't, oh, well, we'll, we'll get them tomorrow. Well, everything's okay. We'll be fine. Um, it, it should always be the massive amount of appreciation, humility, and just respect you have i mean the the people i got a chance to be around i love them so much and i and i mean my gosh they they just were awesome at what they did awesome at what they did and they're, they're the smartest guys i've ever met and and i sit around and i just go holy cow you know I, I hope to be as smart as those guys someday because they're they're that good and and just with humility i say that because i go i, I know the truth and i know that i'm not at that level 
And yet, you know, I've got this opportunity and I'm not even at that level right now. And, and I'm sitting there going, my gosh, guys that are playing out there, humble, get after it. It, it, it the windows close up quicker now than ever. And just, just appreciate what you have. And the, the way you best appreciate that is, is by just tirelessly working and, and committing to your trade. Coach, unbelievable night in clinic. I want to thank you. I can I can just tell you and tell the people on this call that for many years I watched you. Uh, your work ethic was always incredible to me, but I always kept my ears open when you started talking because I respected your evaluations ability. And you were always at the park a little bit earlier than everybody. You stayed a little bit later than everybody. And uh, and to me and through my eyes, you're, re you're being rewarded as a head coach at a Pac-12 school, which is an unbelievable honor. So thank you. Thank you for having me, Butch. And I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I, I've got a, a, a tone of pleading with young people on my message. And I hope that the, the people on the call understand that the, the pleas are, are more. Uh, yeah, it's a tone of like. That's the tone, but I, I'm saying this just, just out of respect. Like, you got it good, guys. Like, my heavens. Like, as good as you have it, uh, it it's a short window. And just understanding how short that window, and, and that's it. That's it in a nutshell. And there's so many great people that are in this game that you can tap into and you can learn from. And ultimately, in, at the end of the day, uh, take accountability for, for what you do that, that's not good. We all need to get better. Um, and just just be humble with that. Just work your dang tail off. And if it doesn't work out for you, then fine. Go go save, save somebody's life as a doctor, honestly. Um, but, but, you know, work your tail off to where, to where even as a doctor, you're the most prepared guy to where you don't have somebody die on that operating table. And that's what Coach Lopez used to tell us all the time is, is whatever you do, just be the best at what you do. That's incredible. Okay, guys, I hope everybody has a great week. I am in a lucky situation. I'm going to Atlanta tomorrow. I'm going there to see Bryce Hubbard, who is going to Mississippi State, and I get to see Drew Jones play because they're all at the uh, same high school with Blouser's kid, too. So Wesleyan High School in Georgia, I'm going to be there uh, Tuesday and Wednesday to watch those guys. I'm looking forward to that. And then – for everybody on Sunday, I'm giving you guys a Mother's Day present you will not believe. And it is Kevin McMullen, the associate head coach of the University of Virginia. He will be with us next Sunday night. Uh, so moms, after you cook dinner, I want you to come on this call and listen to Coach McMullen. You might learn something about hitting in offensive play. So guys, I hope you all have a great week. Thank you again. Coach Waz and everybody. Hey, Dad, pick up the Thanks slack for next Sunday. Let's go, man. The moms. I mean, come on, <laughs> pick up your slack. And how about you do something for them? Max, a dude, man. He's a he's an awesome dude. He's a grinder. He's a worker. I'm gonna tune in for that one too if I can. But he's wow, that dude. He's something else. He's a he's he's what it's about for sure. Good job getting him on. We've been very, we've been very fortunate to have some great people like yourself and him coming on. And uh, everybody. Have a great week. I'll see you next Sunday. Good night, everybody.